Listeners, welcome back. You are now listening to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. For first-time listeners, my name is Christine Kim, and I am the host of this program. Do you all know the book that was first published in 1927, that has since then continued to be a bestseller? And also the book that Pastor Billy Graham gives to the President of the United States when they first take office. The book is titled "My Utmost for His Highest," and today I would like to spend this time to share with all of our listeners the author of this book, Oswald Chambers. When reading this book, it is hard to believe it was written 100 years ago, as it so frankly points out the spiritual problems we are facing today, 100 years later. Through this, we realize no matter how much time has passed, the essentials of faith do not change, regardless of where you may be or when it may be. The problems always lie between my relationship with God. Through his many books, Oswald Chambers helps us to realize what we have hidden so deeply within ourselves, and including all of our insincerities, and also helps our sinful nature to be laid before God. But in order for him to be able to do this, There were many experiences that he has faced himself. Although he left this land at the age of 43, the many books that he has written has challenged many Christians and are being used to help others build a deeper and stronger relationship with Christ. We'll come back to share more after our first song.
Oswald Chambers was born on July 24th of 1874 in Aberdeen, Scotland, as the youngest son of pastors of a small Baptist church. Although he was born of devout parents who were pastors, he had no intentions of becoming one himself. He enjoyed drawing more than anything, which led him to study art in college. At the age of 15, he followed his parents to London. And attended the Royal Academy of Arts and headed for his dreams to become an artist. Then one day, he was able to listen to the sermon of the famous pastor Charles Spurgeon, and his life was headed into a different direction. He began to believe in Jesus Christ, and as his faith was growing, he started to attend seminary and decided to become a pastor. While studying at the University of Edinburgh in 1895, he realized. How stagnated the faith of the people in London were at the time. He realized that the main reason was because people were not discerned in their life by Christ and began to spread the word about how important holiness was. After graduating and finishing up his studies at the University of Edinburgh and Dunoon College, 
Chambers came to the United States in 1906 to Cincinnati, Ohio. He spent six months teaching at God's Bible School, and from there he went to Japan visiting the Tokyo Bible School and devoted his life in serving. In 1911, he came back to London and founded and was the principal of the Bible Training College in Clapham Common Greater, London, and began to teach the Bible to many. However, after a few years in 1915, due to the outbreak of World War I, the Bible Training College had to be closed down. In October of the same year, Chambers was accepted as a YMCA chaplain and was assigned to Zayton, Cairo, Egypt, and ministered to the Australian and New Zealand troops. Shortly after, Oswald Chambers was stricken with appendicitis and on November 15, 1917, died from a pulmonary hemorrhage. Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus and live. Now your burden's lifted and carried far away, and precious blood has washed away the stain. So sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus and live. And like a newborn baby, don't be afraid to crawl. And remember when you walk, sometimes we fall. So fall on Jesus, fall on Jesus, fall on Jesus and live. Sometimes the way is lonely and steep and filled with pain. So if your sky is dark and pours the rain. And cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus, and live. Oh, and when the love spills over, and music fills the night, and when you can't contain your joy inside. Then dance for Jesus, dance for Jesus, dance for Jesus, and live. And with your final heartbeat, kiss the world goodbye. And go in peace and laugh on glory's side. 
and fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus, and live. Fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus. Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Francis Chan of Cornerstone Church. Today's topic is the importance of communion, part two, based on Luke chapter 22, verse one through 23. I hope you have a blessed time as you join Pastor Francis. Okay, let's face it. In this room, a lot of garbage has taken place in our lives, right? And we've done some awful things. Well, what if I told you, hey, today at service, what we're going to do is uh, everyone, just in absolute honesty, we're going to come up one at a time and we're going to list the five worst things we did in our lifetime. Hey, pretty fun service, huh? Let me try to think of the worst things I've done in the sight of God and just lay it out. I mean, it's, it's just disgusting. Now, the Bible says... So, what are you going to do before God? How are you going to make up or atone? Atone means to cover that. See, a lot of people, so many, the majority of the world would say, you know what, I know, I know I've done some bad things, but I've made up for it. Right? How do I make up? I started doing a bunch of good things. I give to charities. You know, I go to fundraisers. You know, help people across the street. Well, whatever. You know, I do so much volunteer work and this and that. And so at the end of my life, God knows that I've done some bad things, but He also knows I made up for it. I covered it over with my good deeds. And you guys, that may make you feel better about yourself, but the Bible says that there's no way your good deeds will cover up what you've done. He says the only thing that atones in God's sight the only thing in his mind that will atone for what you've done is blood. Leviticus 17.11. It, from, from beginning to end, all the way through Scripture, he explains this blood sacrifice. That you know what? That's all that will atone for you. And so you may feel better that you've done some good things. and Great. But you're going to stand before God and he's going to say, You know what? I made it very clear. The only thing that will atone for you is blood. Do you think you're going to come before God Almighty and say, yeah, but I made up for... God hates sin so much. That was the picture He was showing in the temple with the slaughter every year to show how much He hated it and what needed to be paid. And then all of that was going to be paid by Jesus on the cross. And that's what you know Jesus explained to them, that there's going to be a fulfillment to the Passover. And, uh, oh, it's so beautiful because when you look at verse 19, look what happens. It says that he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. See, during the Passover supper, he takes the unleavened bread that they're all thinking, they're all thinking unleavened bread means the exodus. It means the time when we have to remember when we left you know, Egypt and it was in a hurry. And, and, and Jesus takes the bread that night and says, Listen, this bread now, is my body. 
It's no longer to represent the unleavened bread. From, it's to represent my body. And I want you to do this in remembrance. Why does he want his disciples to do this? I want you to do this in remembrance. Remembrance not of Egypt, not of the Exodus. He goes, in remembrance of me and my body. Then he takes the cup. And he says, this, this cup represents the new covenant. This is different now. It's not the blood of the Lamb. It's about the fulfillment of it all. And it represents my blood now. He says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And it's such a, ah, it's such a beautiful scene. Because, you know, in verse 15, when he says that, uh, he said to them, I eagerly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He says, I eagerly, I have eagerly desired. And in fact, the literal words is, uh, with desire, I have desired to eat this with you. It was a Hebrew idiom just saying, just this total, incredible, intense desire. It's basically, he's sitting down with his disciples and goes, you have no idea how much I've longed for this moment to have this meal with you guys. And I, I, for the first time, I just felt it this week. Because think about this. What if, what if you knew that tomorrow you were going to die? That you were going to be handed over and you were going to suffer. And you knew that was going to actually happen tonight. And then you're going to be dying tomorrow. And you were told you could have one last dinner with any group of people you choose. Who would you pick? Just think it through. Right now, tonight is the last supper you'd have here on this earth. Who would you want to share that with? You know, I, I tried to think that through and I, I thought, okay, if I had one last supper and tonight was it, who would I invite? And it was none of you. I just thought, I would just, I, I would just have my family. I, I think if I, I just had one last night I would just my wife, my kids, maybe my brothers, sisters, mom, you know, and just say, guys, this is it for me. And I just want to tell you guys how much I care about you, how much I love you, but how much, you know, you've got to live this thing on. You've got to understand that it is all about Jesus and it's all about eternity and, and my life is over now. And you've got to get this and just how meaningful and how beautiful that time would be. Do you understand? This is Jesus. I mean, and feel that moment. He's coming before his disciples. These are the 12 guys that he spent the last three and a half years with. And, and, and 24-7, he's been with them. It's been a family. And he sits down with them and says, Oh, you guys, I'm going to suffer in a little bit, but I've been so looking forward just to this one last meal with you guys. It's one last meal. And he says, and I want you to always remember this. I want you to always remember me. And so when he broke the bread, he says, you know what this should remind you of now? From here on out, this is my body. And, and I just try to think what, what must have felt like when the disciples got together after his death and they celebrated and took the bread and said, oh, let's remember him. I mean, how intense, how intimate that must have been. Say, oh, he said to remember his body. His blood. Because he knew that we were going to get so busy with life and there's going to be so many things we're rushing to that we can go through a whole week and not even think about Jesus. And he says, I want to give you something tangible to hold on to. And every time you break this bread, remember me. And that's why the early church says, well, we're going to devote ourselves to this because we don't ever want to forget. 
and they devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper so they would always have at least that time to just get their minds back and go, you know what? All that matters is that our sins atone for because of what Jesus did for us. Oh, it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful, touching scene. And, and, and it was all Jesus, do this, why? In remembrance. That's it. And, and honestly, I used to be... Okay, there's a lot of other churches that'll teach. Okay, when you take of this bread, it's literally Jesus' flesh. And when you drink of the cup, it's literally his blood. And when it comes into you, it's going to turn into blood or it's going to turn into flesh. And, and there's some churches that you take it and then after a while they'll ring a bell. And they say, when that bell rings, it mysteriously is going to turn into the flesh and the blood of Jesus and it's going to give you this power. You guys, I used to be like, well, all right, if you want to believe that, fine. It's not in the Bible anywhere. But if you want to believe that, I don't have a problem with it. You guys... The more I study this, the more I really do have a problem with it now. Because it really takes away from the whole point of it. The point was not for you to get some mysterious power or some superstitious thing that happens to you. That's not the point, the emphasis of the Lord's Supper. Jesus wanted us to remember Him. And just remember that one sacrifice that's more important than anything else on the earth. And just to take some time every day, every week, and just to remember... Oh, that's all that matters. Not for us to get some sort of superpower through. He never talks about that. He says, you do this in remembrance of me. It's a way to honor him. It's a way to remember him. Man, and to just dwell on how the most important thing, the culmination, the fulfillment of the Passover took place. And just to rejoice and go, God, I remember you. I will never forget that death on the cross rather than coming to it superstitiously and saying, you know what, I think this will do something for me. This will help me. No, I'm doing it out of obedience because I don't ever want to forget what my Lord and Savior did for me on the cross. Jesus says, that's why I want you to do it in remembrance of me. And, and with that, you know, with the, uh, with the whole intimacy of it all, I just want to point one last thing out. At this intimate, beautiful supper where Jesus is pouring his heart out to, this guy, to these guys, Judas was there. And I want to think about this for a second. Remember, Judas has just gone to the leaders and said, hey, I figured out a way to kill Jesus. Hey, this is Judas. Has just gone to leaders and I know how to betray him. See, if you do with all the crowds, the crowds are going to mob you and they're going to kill you because they love Jesus. But I figured out a way where we can arrest Jesus when no one else is around and the, the leaders are going, okay, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver for that. He goes, you know what? That's a good deal. I'll take the money. So he's got it all figured out how he's going to betray Jesus later on that night. Well, after he's made this deal with these leaders, he sneaks back in with the disciples like no big deal, nothing's going on. He comes to this intimate last supper with Jesus and Jesus starts off the night by washing their feet. And Jesus knew. It's not like he's like, oh, I didn't know he was a Jew. He knew. And he got on his knees and he's washing Judas' feet. Think about Judas, what's going on in his mind right now. Is he just saying, oh, thank you, Lord, knowing he's going to betray him in a few hours. Then to sit at this table, and I'm just picturing, maybe the disciples are weeping right now, not really getting it. And he's just thinking, this is my body. You remember this, because the fulfillment of the Passover is coming. And for Judas, Judas took that bread. He took that cup. Man, just like those disciples did. And then as they're all in this you know, nice little dinner, Jesus makes a statement. He goes, hey, the one who's going to betray me, 
is sitting here. Gosh, think about that moment. I mean, that's like you being at a dinner with those you're closest to, and everyone knows each other. It's just this intimate circle, and, and you're saying, you know what, I've been betrayed. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to die tomorrow. And then you, you share with this intimate dinner, and then you say to them, hey, and the person that's betraying me is sitting with us. You'd look around like, that's impossible. That, that, that's impossible. This is the family. This is us. We're the disciples. But just like you would look at your own family members and your own closest friends that you invited to this dinner and everyone knew these are the, your closest circle. The disciples had no clue who it was. It's that they're questioning like, ah, it's probably John. No, maybe it's Peter. They're trying to figure it out. They don't get it. And all the while, Judas is sitting there. I mean, isn't that just sick that this guy would come back? I mean, it's one thing to betray him, but then to sneak back and take place in such an intimate dinner. It's like you... Ah, that's just so awful. So wicked, isn't it? Well, this is exactly what takes place in church every weekend. There are some of you who have betrayed Jesus all week long. You know who you are. You've done the exact things that God absolutely hates. You know it. And then you sneak into church on the weekend. And you'll take of the bread, take of the cup. Oh, I'm a Christian like you guys. Meanwhile, you know what you're about to do when you leave this church. You know what you're about to do this week. It's not something you're struggling with and working through because we're all doing that. But it's something you've already decided in your mind. You're going to do the very things that Jesus hates this week. And yet you're going to come in here and pretend you're one of us? And you're going to take of the bread and take of the... It's the exact same thing. I'm not talking about those who are here seeking and going, you know, I don't understand Christianity. I came to this church. I heard good things about it. I just want to check it out. Man, that's great. And what you do during the week is your business. I'm just so thrilled that you come here and, and you're trying to understand Christianity. The people I'm confronting are the people who already call themselves Christians. They're the Judases that say, oh no, I'm one of the boys. And I'll partake of this dinner, I'll take of this bread, I'll take of this cup. And, and in reality, you know, the rest of the week, you're not, you're not living for God. Not even close. And you're not intending to live for God this week. You know, Jesus makes an interesting statement to Judas in the book of John. At the end of the Lord's Supper, after you know, he dips the bread and Judas actually takes of it, Jesus looks at Judas and says, you know what? Whatever you need to do, what you need to do, go and do quickly. Just showing Judas, I know it's you. And what you need to do, just go and do it. And you know what? I say the same thing to you today. Some of you, you've got all sorts of sin that you're, you want to just partake in this week. And you know it's wrong. But you're going to do it anyways. And what I have to say to you is, you know what? Just go and do it. Just, 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 just get out of here and go and do it. That's what Jesus is saying to Judas. You know what? You're going to go betray, just go betray me. Don't go sneaking back in here pretending you're one of the boys, you know, pretending you really care about this moment, letting me wash your feet, you know, you know, feeding you this dinner. Just go and sin. Go and do your deal. But don't bring your stuff in here. And that's the picture of the church. It doesn't matter if this place is packed or not. It doesn't matter if we have four servants. You, you think I care about that? You think any of the elders care about that? The whole idea is we want this to be real. And so if you're faking it and, and calling yourself a Christian, you come here on the weekends and you're one way, and then you go and you live a different way the rest of the, the week, you know what? Just, just go. Whatever you need to do, go and do it. Is it money you're after? You're ripping people off and that's so important. You just do it. But don't come in here. Just, just, just go and go quickly. 
But don't go, don't you dare come in here, call yourself a Christian, take of this intimate bread and this cup because this is sacred. Don't be Judas. Don't be Judas. And you know, with that, I will say, you know, even this weekend, so many people came up and said, you know what? I've been Judas. And I don't want that. Because no one in their mind sets out and says, I know what I want to be. I want to be Judas. You know, my parents named me Judas. You know, it's just, it, it's just, no one thinks that way, right? Like, oh, that's the way I want to be. is a total fake, you know, and just, just fake my Christianity. It just kind of happens. You get caught up in something. And, you know, for Judas, it was money. It was like, oh, it just kind of led to a little bit more, a little bit more. And now he's just going to betray Jesus. And so he's a full-on fake. No one wants that. And so even this weekend, so many people have come forward and said, you know what, you're right, that's what I was. And I, and I don't want that anymore. I want to be the real thing. Because I, I just think, what if, what if at that scene, after, after Jesus says to Judas, you know what, what do you need to do? Just go and do it. He says, you know what, I can't. I'm not going to do it now. You know what, you just washed my feet. You just helped me partake. You helped me to understand what this cross is all about. You know what? I was going to do that. And I, the, the plan I had this week, I'm done with it. I'm stopping right now. I'm repenting. I'm one of the boys again. Man, what a beautiful story that would have been, huh? You know, but it wasn't. That's not what happened. He went and he did what he needed to do. And my prayer is not to just... I'm not trying to get rid of people. You know, I'm trying to purify the church. As an elder board, we want this place to honor God. You know, not to be big, not to be popular, not to be, you know, exciting. It's just we want it to be real. That's what Matt was saying, leading worship. It's like, let's make this real. And as we take of the bread and we take of the cup today, let's make this thing real. Where we come and we really remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Nothing else. Sing like never before 
Gospel Ministry is looking for volunteers in tech editing to ensure the quality of the broadcast and the addition of more encouraging and empowering programs. 
volunteer hours or three hours a week, and anyone who's had experience with computer before can participate. And don't worry if you're not familiar with the sound editing program. Heart and Soul will provide basic training and editing. So if anyone is interested in helping out our ministry, please contact us at 602-866-8999. Thank you. Please stay tuned as we are following a program that guides us to know what ethics Christians should hold, titled Christian Ethics. Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with Christian Ethics. Last week in Christian Ethics, we discussed the topic of euthanasia, which claims that humans have the right to die in comfort. There are three forms of euthanasia, and last week we spent time discussing active euthanasia, which is an end-of-life choice to reduce pain and suffering. This is the most common form of euthanasia. Today we will spend time talking about the other two types, which are unnatural passive euthanasia and natural passive euthanasia. First, unnatural passive euthanasia is performed by withholding basic needs such as food, air, or water. In other words, it is to end a life by not giving food to someone who is able to eat or suffocating someone who can breathe just fine. Since this method intentionally does not provide the basic needs, it is classified as murder. It also doesn't fit in with the law of nature. Therefore, all of the opposing reasons for active euthanasia we shared with you last week also apply to this method as well. Now we'll talk about the last type, which is natural passive euthanasia. Natural passive euthanasia is to end a patient's life by withdrawing mechanical or artificial needs. Unnatural passive euthanasia is to intentionally take away the basic needs, whereas natural passive euthanasia is to take away the mechanical life support systems. For example, it would be to get rid of the life support systems from a person in a state of coma or anyone who is conscious but has to depend on a life support system to live. This method doesn't sound great either. But no method in the world that takes away someone's life sounds great. What's important is that the Bible doesn't give us any opposing principles to this natural passive euthanasia. Actually, natural passive euthanasia is different from the other two types of euthanasia, which intentionally take away life. This type just lets a person face death naturally. Forcing someone to live using artificial help is not biblical either. A deathbed is a process, and death is the peak of that process. Once someone has an incurable disease, it's only a matter of time until death comes unless God heals or intervenes in this person's life. It is delaying death if a dying person extends his lifetime using artificial life support equipment. Most people would claim that we should do the best that we can to let someone live because life is valuable. However, this argument may also be seen as not trusting in God's sovereign control over death. If God decides to save someone's life, he can do so without any help from technology or medical supplies. For example, there was a family that decided to have their elderly mother get natural passive euthanasia 
since she was dependent on life support systems for a long time. The doctor suggested this method because he thought there was no way for her to get any better. The doctor told the family that if he removes the life support system from her, she would pass away in 24 hours. After a long discussion, the family decided to follow the doctor's suggestion and brought in a pastor and had a funeral service. However, after the removal of all of the life support equipment, the mother lived perfectly fine for another year. God is the one who gives and takes away a life. The supporters of euthanasia attack those who oppose by claiming that they have no mercy because they would allow someone to be in pain. But it's not that those who oppose euthanasia want people to die in pain. What we must know is that the opposition is not against using a tranquilizer or other options to reduce pain. Proverbs 31, 6-7 says the following, Give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his trouble no more. So the opposition is not saying that patients should remain in pain. They are saying we should do all we can to help and reduce the pain, but we should not take away life. Christians should refuse unnatural passive and active euthanasia because they are classified as an act of murder. We should believe in God's sovereign control of our lives. But we must also remember that natural passive euthanasia does not go against the rules in the Bible, and it doesn't collide with our belief in God's sovereign control. Air is a natural factor we need in order to live, but artificial respiration is not natural. Suffocating someone who can breathe is not natural, but removing the artificial respiration is considered natural. Also, not providing food to someone who can eat is not natural, but removing the feeding tube is letting in death in a natural way. We should definitely remember one thing. Even though Christians may agree with natural passive euthanasia, it doesn't mean we should use it freely. Feeding tubes and artificial respiration are needed for special diseases. Their purpose is to help patients eventually eat and breathe on their own. This is a much different scenario than a person who is dying. Also, there are people who must depend on life support equipment, but other than the equipment, enjoy all aspects of a normal life. These people have no reason whatsoever to consider ending their lives just because they need to rely on machinery to help. Now, each person should be treated according to what is best for their given situation. We never know who among us might be in a situation that requires us to consider natural passive euthanasia. In preparing for such an event, we could prepare a document stating that if we were ever in a vegetative state, we would want natural passive euthanasia instead of using a life support system. A written document would ease the burden on the family when making a decision like this. Christian ethics on this topic of euthanasia is very sensitive but if we have faith and believe God is the one who controls our lives, this problem is easily resolved. This concludes this week's episode of Christian Ethics. Thank you for listening, and God bless.
Oswald Chambers has 30 books published under his name. However, he actually only wrote one book titled Baffled to Fight Better. Then how were the other 30 books published? 
Oswald Chambers' wife was a stenographer in court and was able to write very fast. During their years of marriage and Chambers' ministry, she followed and wrote everything he said. So the 30 books published under his names were all messages and works that she had collected during his ministry. Even after her husband passed away, Oswald Chambers' wife continued to relay and spread the messages of her husband. Oswald Chambers' spirituality and his influence on people almost stopped 100 years ago. But God had Chambers' messages to be spread through his wife. There are some people who fear that Oswald Chambers' spirituality may be dangerous. However, they still accept and acknowledge the passion that Chambers had. Especially his book, The Utmost for His Highest, received a lot of great reviews. Most people confess that through his books, they were able to deeply meditate on the Word and were able to live every day in faith and listen to the voice of the Spirit. There have also been many confessions that when reading the books of Oswald Chambers, that it leads them to open up and read the Bible. There is not a person who may have the perfect knowledge of theology. This is because we are all imperfect. God only allows us our spirituality and talents based on our individual capacity. Based on this, Chambers' books invited many people to a deeper relationship with Christ and through the Word. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law day and night. The many words and writings of Oswald Chambers leads many people to become like these very words of Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Does your spirit lead others to be a blessed one? I hope that we may all be used to lead others to become like the words of Psalms chapter 1, as we will now wrap up unity in Christ. Thank you for listening, as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time next week, and God bless. I believe in the sun. I believe in the risen one I believe I overcome By the power of His blood Amen I heard mercy call my